0: Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 16. This past week I was sitting with uh, Neil and, and then another time too this week I sat down with some folks and we were just talking about the subject of worship. And um, I've been meditating on this topic of worship. What is worship? What is the biblical perspective of worship? And like anything in the world that we live in, the devil wants just to screw things around so that the biblical meaning of things gets changed. You notice that we live in a world that the vocabulary words are continually being changed to mean something different than what they truly mean. Uh, words that used to have... Because without words, we can't think correctly. And we can't know God without words. The Word of God in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, is the only way that we can know God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. Faith only comes through the Word of God. Faith does not come in any other form or in any other way. Uh, Our faith can get built up by answers to prayer, by experiences that we have in the plan of God, but faith only comes, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. And that means when we're hearing from God in our personal study or when we're in church at the pulpit here, we're hearing the Word of God. That is what builds us up, and that's how faith comes into our life. But one of the, and I want to start actually John chapter 4. Excuse me, let's go back to John chapter 4. I got a new Bible here. It's an amplified study Bible. I'm really excited about it. So the verses are going to be, scripture reading is going to be like three times as long now. (laughs) John chapter 4. Jesus does such an amazing job here in this chapter uh, describing what true worship is. And verse 23, John chapter 4, verse 23. And Sundays, we're going to move our 1 Corinthians series to Wednesday nights. And we're just going to hit a few topics on Sundays here now. So, John chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus here, we know, is speaking with a woman at the well who really is, she's a Samaritan. She's a Gentile. And there are just so many things naturally wrong with this picture and religiously wrong with this picture Jesus speaking to a woman that's ethnically not proper in their culture or religiously not proper in their culture to be speaking to but Jesus and gender wise is not properly accepted in the Jewish culture to be in a situation like that but we see that Jesus crosses all of that because true worship crosses all, all all barriers whatever barrier that could exist and so Jesus here in chapter 4, verse 23, says this, But a time is coming, and is already here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, from the heart, the inner self, and in truth from the Father. For the Father seeks such people to be His worshipers. Let's go over to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and we can see worship in action. Acts chapter 16, and we see that Paul and Silas are in Macedonia. It's an answer to prayer. <clears throat> God has led them there, and they experience a series of events. In chapter 16, we see that the book of Acts, we see that Paul and Silas are ministering, they're preaching, and they're moving, and they're, God is leading them in ministry. And this woman starts, this girl shows up and starts following them. And she is a, uh, she is a servant girl and she was employed by um, a group of individuals that were profiting from her ability to tell the future. She was demon-possessed, and she had the ability to foretell the future. Now, that's no we shouldn't be shocked by that because the devil has a plan as well. God has a plan, but the devil has a plan. The devil knows what he wants to do in people's lives, and so demons know what that devilish plan is. And so it's nothing shocking. Excuse me. There's nothing shocking about... The fact that demons know what the devil wants to do. So demons, um, in this case, are speaking through this woman about the devil's plan for people's lives. That's fortune telling. That's why I would never go to a fortune teller. I would never, I never read the Zodiac to get uh, what's happening in my life. Because the Zodiac, the Zodiac is not the word of God. And, and God knows, and his plans for us are what in, in Jeremiah uh, 11 verse 23. What are God's plans for us? They are plans of peace and for uh, for us, for our well-being, and not evil. And so this woman here is following Paul, and she is as she's following them, she's screaming at the top of her lungs, these men are the servants of God. Uh, they are from the Lord, and they are preaching salvation. Listen to them. I mean, is that, a, is that a bad message? No, it's not. It's right. But this was a demon-possessed woman. That's very interesting. We don't have the time to talk about that. But it's very possible that that could happen in this situation. Paul discerned. And this is going on for many days. I don't know how long many days is. It could be a few weeks. I don't know. Paul put up with this woman, following them around, screaming everywhere they went. And at one moment, it says that he was just so grieved in his heart and his spirit. And he discerned what was was really going on. And he turned around and he said, just come out of her. Uh, She is released. The demon comes out. And so these men are now penniless. They don't have the money coming in anymore from this woman's divination and a uh, fortune teller, fortune telling. And so they grab a hold of Paul and Silas. They drag him to the courthouse in Macedonia there in Philippi. And they are, they are being um, accused and then the crowd jumps in as well. Now, when the crowd jumps in, we start reading in verse 23, um, they grab them Let's start in verse 22. The crowd also joined the attack against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and ordered that Paul and Silas be beaten with rods. Now, tearing the robes there just means that they were just so upset, they were so traumatized that they were just willing to tear their clothes. And that was was an expensive, um, that was just showing the drama of how upset they were. And after striking, in verse 23, them many times with rods, they threw them into prison. Now, I don't know if you've been struck by a rod before, maybe growing up, I don't know. But it leaves wells, doesn't it? It leaves, it leaves injury. Uh, your back is pretty beaten up. And so they throw them into prison. And this is um, commanding the jailer, jailer to guard them securely. In verse 24, And having received such a strict command, threw them into the inner prison, the dungeon, which was the coldest, wettest Worst part of the of the prison, and fasten their feet in stocks in an agonizing position. And what we can see here from historically the historical picture is that the position that they were in, where they were in, their legs were probably up. Uh, they were in a very uncomfortable position uh, with these with these uh, chains and clamps around you know these iron chains and clamps around their feet, and causing a lot of pain. They were in pain. Okay, so I'm imagining that they're on their backs, their feet are up, they're chained, they can't really move or sleep, and they're in just an incredible amount of pain. And so in that position, in verse 25, about midnight, when Paul and Silas were praying, I just want to stop there for a minute, praying. They were in prayer. I mean, that's just amazing. What else are you going to do in that situation? They just, they began to pray. And singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And in the Greek here, it says that the prisoners were listening to them with a lot of joy. Like they were enjoying this. This was something that they were, everybody was quiet. And they're listening to these two men that have just been beaten up in a lot of pain uh, on their backs that have been just beaten with rods. And they begin to sing hymns. I don't know what hymns they were singing, but that'd be a nice hymn to know. I'd like to know what that hymn is when I get to heaven. What is that song? You know, it's an amazing song right there. And they began to sing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Verse 24, suddenly there was a great earthquake. Verse 26, the Greek word there is used. It's the same Greek word in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, when the apostles and the disciples were praying in the upper room, and the place was shaken. So this is the same word, seismos, that we see in this verse here, that there is an earthquake that has resulted in the prayer, and then in this case, the praise and the worship of these two men. and so powerful that the very foundations of the prison were shaken, and all at once the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And what could probably happened here was is that this prison was probably built, uh, most likely built out of a rock, a very rocky area. And when the earthquake happened, the rocks and all of the foundations of where all these chains and um, uh, torture's items were, were um, founded in, broke up. And so everything, the chains, everything were, were loosened and unfastened. And then we read on later, in verses 24 on, that the jailer uh, sees what happens, runs to Paul and Silas, falls on his knees, and he says, what must I do to be saved? The jailer gets saved, brings them to his house, and he actually ministers to them uh, and, and uh, treats their wounds. There's a few things happening here that, that I think are just so important to note. And there's three things that I just want to mention this morning. Number one, I want to just talk about what is worship. What is worship? That's number one. We don't have slides today, so just bear with me. What is number one? What is worship? Uh, number two, suffering that leads to worship. Suffering that leads to worship. And then number three, and, and, and you know, if, if we have to, we can do next Sunday. You can also hit this, this topic of worship Number three, there are two S's, two words that begin with S that result, that relate to worship that we see with Paul and Silas. Two words that begin with S. And these are just three things I want to mention. Number one, what is worship? First of all, we are created and we are cleansed worshipers. We're clean today. You know, we are cleansed. We're cleansed by the blood of Christ. And Hebrews 10 verse 2, this is beautiful. I love this verse. One of my favorite verses that the worshipers were once purged and no longer have any more conscience of sins. Isn't that beautiful? That we don't have to be here today living in the awareness of my failure and my limitations and our limitations and our sins. I think sometimes people don't come to church because they just feel like I had a bad week. I'm not worthy to come to church. Um, Guess what? Welcome to humanity. And I think every one of us in this room could have said the same thing. And if any of us thought that way and didn't come to church, this place would be empty, including me. I wouldn't be here. <laughs> so we are all, but we just have to remember that whenever we get up here to serve or minister or worship or fellowship or come to church or do anything, that first of all, we're cleansed worshipers. Amen? We are cleansed worshipers. None of us are worthy to be here, but we are qualified and equipped to be here because of one thing, the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what puts us here. And none of us, none of us here have attained anything here but just we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. As that blood cleanses us, how, how often does it cleanse us? 1 John 1, 7, 8, and 9. How often? So it's continually. It's continually washing us. We're in a continual shower of that cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And I think that that's the scariest topic. To devil. The devil hates that topic. The blood of Christ and the grace of God are the two feared topics that the devil hates. And so when we think of worship, because, you know, sometimes we could be here singing, like we just had this awesome worship. And could be thinking, you know, I, I just don't, you know, and people raising their hands or worshiping with their whole heart. I, I just, I'm not worthy to be here. You know, I, how could, you know, and then the devil himself, he never sleeps, right? Day and night, Revelations twelve ten. He accuses the brethren day and even when you're sleeping, he's accusing you. Those are projections from the atmosphere. And we could be here in the, in the, like we were this morning or going about our business during the week and just say, I'm not worthy to even worship God. I just want to say that that's a lie from the devil. That's, that's a lie from the devil. That of course we are not worthy, but we are made worthy, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2, by the blood of Christ. And that blood is so effective that we never need to live in the consciousness or the awareness of sins. You know what I'm saying? It's a burden that we are not to be bearing. Okay, and that's so important. And not only our sins, but other people's sins. What's the difference between praise and worship? Um, I, I see it this way, that praise is the acknowledgement and gratitude for what God has done, right? You look at, Paul, you look at David's life, and the, the older he gets, the more mature he gets in his life, and you can see it in the writings of Psalms, what, what more is happening in his life, in the, in the book of Psalms. What is he doing more and more? He is well. Psalm one forty to the ends. All right, praise. It's just every psalm, every psalm that goes, every psalm that, that you read. The more and more you read it, the more you see. Praise God for this. Praise God for that. Praise Him for this. What He's done. Praise Him for the creation. Praise is was is this basically means that we are thanking God and acknowledging what He has done in our life. What He's done, and it's the, and the worship is the acknowledgement and the gratitude for who God is. It's for the acknowledgement and the gratitude for the persona of God, who he is, not necessarily what he does or does not do. Worship is another level, I think, in Christianity. Praise is like, I mean, we could look at, like all of us could just say, praise the Lord for his faithfulness in these past few, you know, these past uh, two weeks of just a disaster here in, in Houston, we could just say, thank you, God, I praise you. But then worship can be, worship is like what Job did in Job 1.20 and 21. Job here, God allows the devil to wipe out his family, to wipe out his business, to wipe out everything. And Job has nothing but a complaining wife with him who is telling him, commit suicide, Job. Just curse God and just go kill yourself. That was Job's wife's counsel. And that was not good counsel. And so what did Job do in Job 1, verse 20 and 21? He just fell on it. He, he tore his garments. He shaved his head, and he fell on his knees, and he said, in, in, he said in, in, in short, he said, Lord, I worship you. I just worship you. He was not in praise mode because there was not a lot to praise about, but he was worshiping God for who he is. Worship is when sometimes when prayers don't get answered, or maybe God's delaying a, a, an answer to prayer. Maybe we're in a prolonged state of just trouble or difficulty, and we don't see the rushing in of God's faithfulness by sight. But we just fall on our knees and we worship the persona of God, and we just recognize He is the Creator, I am the creation. And we just, by faith and, and quietly in our heart, we just acknowledge the presence of God, and we acknowledge the persona of God. I want to talk about that in a more in a minute. Worship is the strategy By which we interpret, interrupt, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and what's happening in our world to attend to the personhood of God. I'm just going to read that again. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves. We intentionally interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves. You know, coming to church or coming together when we meet together, it's never going to be convenient. It's just never going to be convenient. It's, I mean, we are all very busy people. I'm not going to be preaching on a church attendance right now. Don't worry about that. But I'm just going to say that, like, that getting together and worshiping the Lord is never going to be convenient. It's always going to be kind of a speed bump in our in our schedule. And that's the way it's naturally going to feel. But you know something? We need that. We need the the, 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 the deliberate, intentional moment where we are interrupting our lives, the importance of our lives, our worlds of tragedy or success, and we meet together with the body, and with one whole heart, we are worshiping the Lord. We're praising for what He's done, and we're worshiping for who He is. This is so important. You know, I think that, you know, the worship, the singing part, and I know we all think this way because we're all here but that the singing part of our of our service is just is so important. as so important as the word because we are coming together. And Dr. Carolyn Leaf, uh, April gave me this quote this yesterday. Uh, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, she, she's a believer. She does a lot of study on the way the brain works, the chemistry of the brain. It's just fascinating stuff. And she said that when people get together and they sing together in worship, focusing on the persona and the in the, in the character and the nature of God, literally, their hearts literally begin to beat as one, begin to beat in the same rhythm. Isn't that interesting? This has been studied. I haven't seen it, but I've heard that When we're together and we're focusing in prayer or in singing or focusing on the Word of God, then there is a singularity of our hearts beating as one. Isn't that beautiful? Worship really is is when... I'm concentrating. It's very simply this. Worship is concentration of our attention, whether it's positive or negative. I mean, we could, if we live in fear, that's worship. That's negative worship. Worship is whatever I'm focusing my attention to. It's, it's whatever I'm directing my, my mind and my thoughts to. Worship is, worship can be anything that steals our focus from God or from the one that is the object of our adoration. Anything that, that distracts our attention from who God is and what he has done for us is actually an idol. Idol worship, sometimes we think of idol worship as what happens maybe in third world countries where people are praying to rocks and trees or to uh, idols in, in, Egypt, uh, in, in uh, India. But idol worship in the, in the United States comes in a different form. It comes in the form of worry. It comes in the form of fear. It comes in the, in the form of, my what is my career? Uh, it comes in the form of, what do people think of me? Uh, it comes in the form of, you know, um, am I going to be successful or am I not going to be successful? This is idol worship. It can come in the form of people or family. It can come in the form of what I own. Anything that distracts us from the amazing personhood of Jesus Christ can turn into idol worship. And, you know, there are always demons that hide behind idols, They're they're always behind the idols. So what's the highest form of concentration? The highest form of concentration in our life is when we are focusing on what God is saying to the church through the Word and through His Spirit. That's the highest form of concentration. When we open the Word and we are just receiving and, and diving into the Word of God together, when we are focusing together in worship on the nature and the character of God, that's why it's so important that when we meet together, that we're all we're all here all, all on the same page that, that, you know, I have this practice that I that I try to practice as often as I can. That when I that when I meet together with the people of God, whether it's Wednesday night, we have awesome times here Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings or whenever we meet that I'm just leaving all my burdens and stuff in the car and just say, you know, OK, I'm closing the door to my car and that's why I'm going to leave everything there. God, I'm just I'm not going to take my burdens, or whatever is happening, into the church with me. I want to be here, and I want to just worship in purity and in focus on God. And that's why when we worship, I mean, singing is so sacred. It's so sacred. And I think the devil would want us to think otherwise, that singing or worship is just entertainment. <clears throat> I'm coming here to get entertained. So I'm, getting, I'm here to be entertained by the worship team, or I'm here to just kind of <clears throat> maybe... <I clears throat> Can someone give me some water? <clears throat> Excuse me. I've been, um, we've been <clears throat> mucking houses all week, and I got this stuff in my chest. I think. <clears throat> and when we come in to sing, when we sing, come maybe we can't. Maybe I. Maybe I'm not a good singer or something. But it's so important that we, when we're here, that we're you know singing and worship that. We're really being here all on one, you know, one accord and one really focusing on Jesus Christ because the devil would really want us to get distracted. Like when we're, you know, with our phones or our tech, I can be easily distracted that way. And, and we can just get so wrapped up in, in, you know, I'm getting text messages or something like that. It's just good when we walk through, when we walk in the door of the church, just shut it all down, you know, just shut it all down and just um, open the Bible And just not get distracted from the highest form of worship. The highest form of worship in my life is not some kind of an experience I'm experiencing. That is a blessing. But the highest form of worship is when I'm concentrating on the nature of God and His Word. Amen. The second thing is, the second thing I want to mention here is that suffering leads to worship. Suffering can lead to worship. Now, this has been an amazing two weeks for us. I mean, we've really seen, none of us, knew this was coming, that this was going to, this storm was going to hit us so hard. And I just want to say that all things are of God. I don't want to say that, I don't want to be one of these people that, that are preaching dooms, you know, doomsday that, that God hates Houston and he just chastised Houston with a terrible storm. I'm not one of those people. I just want to say that that there's something that we can all that we have all learned through this I mean whether we 've been impacted personally by the storm or or we know someone has been impacted i mean we 've shed our share of tears we've've we've, we've experienced the heaviness of being in loved ones' homes that are just devastated <laughs> i mean unbelievable and i 'm just amazed I have to say <clears throat> that I was in five homes this week, and I didn't hear one person complain. Like, I, I, I honestly, I, I didn't hear anyone say, <clears throat> I didn't deserve this. Why did God let this happen? I've just heard people say, not in a hyper-spiritual way, but just in a quiet way, that that we're adjusting by grace. And this is not easy, but we're adjusting by grace. And that God has some purpose in this. And I think the best thing that we can give to people is the hope that God has a purpose in this, that we can worship God in, in heavy times and just say, God, I honestly don't know why. why. Why did this happen? And you know, Florida's getting hit this morning. We want to pray for Florida, all of our loved ones there. But we just say, God, I don't know. I mean, we, God, we just, I don't know why. I don't know why this is happening. I can't say that. I can't get up here and say, well, this is why this is happening. All I can say is, is that God is God and the baseline of God's plan in our life is for blessing and if, you've, if you know someone or if you yourself have been in, 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 in an amazing way injured by this storm, I just want to tell you and comfort us that this is going to turn out to a great blessing in your life. And I don't know how it's going to happen, but down the road we're going to turn around and we're going to look back at this and say, you know what, that looked bad then, but look what God did. And this is how we can worship God in tragedy. And this, we, can't, we can't necessarily promise people, hey, you know what, God's going to give you double I mean, that's not something that we can really even promise people. Because I don't know, maybe maybe double doesn't come. Maybe things don't change. But I just want to say that down the road, you're going to be like, you're going to be saying, you know something, through that situation, I know God better, and I was able to worship God. Because there's something about physical suffering that enables us to realize that we are not in control of the world that we live in. I've heard recently, I read an article just recently, that there are there's actually technology out there that can actually... That can actually affect weather. I mean, it's 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 out there. I mean, man wants to control his world to the point where he wants to control weather. Isn't that wild? Like we are, mankind is so about control, but we are not in control. And when we suffer, we just dis, we discover that we are one hundred percent dependent on God. Isn't it? Isn't that true? Like. You know, when these flood surges come in, they're saying in Florida, say, don't go outside, don't take pictures. They actually had on the Weather Channel a picture of a guy on the beach somewhere in Florida. Yeah, Key West. He's out there taking, he's like doing like a Facebook Live, you know, the waves. This huge wave comes up and just knocks him right on his back end. He gets up and he walks off. We are in a world that is just, we can enjoy it, but it can be so out of control. And we are so dependent upon God. And you know why God allows suffering? Not because he doesn't like us. That was just a pagan form of worship. Pagans would pray, God, you know, um, they would pray to the gods that rain would come when it was supposed to come. They would pray to the gods that they would be uh, blessing and fertility. Suffering doesn't come because God doesn't like somebody. Suffering comes because God wants to remind us of two things. Number one, our humanity and our frailty, that we don't live in a bulletproof world, that I cannot create a bulletproof environment around me. And number two, that these things that we worship, that we put our security in, cannot bring us the comfort and satisfaction that we truly desire. We, We spend a lot of time, all of us, I do too, Creating a life that would be bulletproof from tragedy and insecurity and the unknown unpredictability. We have to remember that we are frail and that when suffering comes not only are we frail but that God is in control ultimately. And this really is a humbling thing. I think that when suffering comes we are shaken so much that the idols that we have tightly held in our hands, we let go of. Suffering is a blessing because it delivers us from idol worship, it delivers us from understanding that those things truly can't satisfy. You know, ask someone who has just maybe lost everything that they know of. You know, and are they just say, "Hey, let's go watch Netflix"? No, that's not. But that's not how they're responding to tragedy. They're they're sitting down and they're just processing things in a very deep way. They're processing what is the base of my life, what is the meaning of happiness in my life, what is the, what is the, who is God when all that happens? And I think that when suffering comes, it's putting us in a place. Where we are driven deeper into the heart of God, and we're driven deeper into asking questions that are that are cr- putting our faith in crisis. Where we start asking ourselves really deep questions like, "What, who is God, and why is this happening to me?" And that brings us to a place of brokenness. And, and this is worship when we are broken. When, and if you know something, if God has blessed you in these last two weeks, don't feel condemned. <laughs> don't beat yourself up. That's that's okay. I mean, it's not. I'm not saying that. That we should feel bad. But when we suffer, God brings us to a place of brokenness. And that brokenness is where God draws near to. The, The word says in Isaiah, it says that the Lord is nigh to the broken. I love that. If you're broken today, God's near you. If you're experiencing some form of brokenness in your life, God draws near to that. God is attracted to broken dependency on him. God is attracted to that. And when we are broken and we just lay ourselves out before the Lord and say, God, I have all these question marks. I have no answers. But I just, I fall on my knees before you and I say, you are God. I am man. Nothing into this world have I brought and nothing will I take with me. When we think like that, that we have the blessing that could never come out in any other way of the presence of, and the peace and the comfort of God because he loves us, because God is attracted to brokenness. I want to finish with this. There are two S's that we can see with Paul and Silas. They're in jail, they're in pain, and they begin to pray. That's worship right there. Worship, I think, comes before praise, in my mind, in this situation. They begin to worship God in prayer. They begin to focus on God. What are they thinking? I don't know. Maybe they're thanking. I would say that they're probably beginning with thanking God for the forgiveness of sins. That's where worship begins. Is that I'm forgiven? That I fail God maybe in unbelief or in my in my words or in my deeds I fail God. But you know something? I worship God and I'm focusing on the blood in that mercy seat in Hebrews chapter four, verses eleven through sixteen that has the blood sprinkled on it. That we're forgiven. This is the main message of the New Testament. This is the gospel, forgiveness of sins because of the blood of Christ. It's nothing else. It's not about more money. It's not about uh, more gifts or more talents or or a better attractional um, ministry. It's about we are forgiven, we are washed, and we are clean, and we can minister to God in a clean conscience. This is what Paul says. Paul is worshiping with Silas. This is what they're worshiping about. And as they're thinking about this, they begin to praise for what God has done. And I'm thinking, what's the first thing that they can praise God for what he's done? The death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's two S's. Number one, solitude. Solitude. God puts Paul and Silas in a place of solitude. He, He wants to get alone with us. Sometimes things will happen in our life because God just wants to get us alone. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak into you. He wants to heal you and I. He wants to speak to the very depths of our soul that we don't even know about. That solitude that so many of us fear. We I was with some friends in a taxi when we were, I was overseas. And they taxi driver, as soon as you get in, it turns the radio on. And it's just... And we're like, and I asked the taxi driver, and I said, can we just shut that off? Because we're just talking here, we're fellowshipping. And the taxi driver says, you know, I'm sorry, I just got to have noise all the time. Because, because when I'm alone with my thoughts, I'm tortured, you know? It's, just, it's like when you're in an elevator, and you're going in an elevator, and you're with a group of people you don't know, isn't it awkward, that silence, <laughs> that solitude? Because we people are afraid to be alone because we live in fear. God wants to get us alone. He gets Paul and Silas alone, and they begin to worship him. And when that happens, God will even put us in the wilderness so that we can learn how to be alone with him, so that he can pour into us. You know, God had to get Moses alone into the backside of the desert, and he began to speak to Moses. He began to pour into Moses. Have you and I, have have we been ever in the wilderness? God wants to pour us Pour into us there. And he wants to give us a Mount Sinai where we he wants to give us a burning bush. And the second S is suffering. Suffering. When that happens, don't run from it. Just know God in suffering. When you're suffering, just get quiet before God in solitude and just and just know God. And say, God, I don't know, but you got to speak to me through your word. Open your Bible. And when you open your Bible in suffering, Instead of living in the two other S's that this world is all about. There's two other S's that this world is always talking about. Self-esteem and satisfaction. I'm going to finish with this. Self-esteem and and satisfaction. These are two two S's that, that that get left behind. That we truly understand when we understand worship. When we understand worship and that focus on who Jesus Christ is. And the nature of God. This is what the devil... God does not. I mean, the devil doesn't want God's nature to be revealed to the church or to the lost. The devil wants to blind people to who truly God is so that he would not receive worship. When we understand worship, we enter into quietness, we enter into security, we enter into satisfaction, we enter into understanding who we are and proper self-esteem. Because when we worship Him we begin to understand who we are. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you.